Hi everyone, I'm Carla and I'm Iman and this is Screensaver, our podcast about all things pop culture. Today, Iman and I will cross the Marigold Bridge into the land of the dead as we discuss Disney Pixar's latest hit, Coco. In this episode, we'll discuss the film's rich and refreshing exploration of Mexican culture, its gorgeous animation, and determine where it stands in the pantheon of Pixar classics. Stay with us. All of that is coming right after the break. My great-great-grandfather was the greatest musician of all time. Ernesto de la Cruz. He abandoned his family. No, my family thinks music is a curse. None of them understand me. I'm supposed to play music. All right, who's in there? I'm sorry. (gasps) What's going on? All right, so Iman, you and I each saw Coco this weekend and felt so much love and adoration for this film that we decided we simply had to create a quick episode about it. But before we dive into our own thoughts, here's a bit of background. Coco is the first Disney movie about a Latino character. Centered on the Mexican holiday of Dia de los Muertos, it was directed by Lee Unkrich and Adrian Molina, and shortly after its release, the movie received a lot of buzz for its near-universal critical acclaim. Perhaps even more exciting, it's broken a box office record by becoming the highest-grossing film in Mexico. Wait, seriously? Oh my gosh, I did not know that. That is super impressive. Yeah, it definitely is. Iman, why don't you take it from here and tell us a little more of what the movie is actually about. Sounds great. Okay, so Coco tells the story of a young boy named Miguel, who despite his family's baffling generations-old ban on music, dreams of becoming an accomplished musician like his idol, Ernesto de la Cruz. (laughs) Desperate to prove his talent, Miguel finds himself in the stunning and colorful land of the dead, following a mysterious chain of events. Along the way, he meets Hector, a charming trickster, and together they set off on an extraordinary journey to unlock the real story behind Miguel's family history. Yeah, so the movie's plot is surprisingly complex and full of plot twists, But we're going to do our best to steer clear of any spoilers and we'll instead focus on the broad generalities that made this film such a success. Iman, what were your initial impressions of Coco? I remember hearing about Coco a couple years back and thinking, huh, that might be cool. Keep in mind that this was probably around the time that Elena of Avalor was coming out, so it kind of felt like, all right, they're catering to a Latin market, they're trying it. Mm -hmm. I basically forgot about the movie after seeing the title treatment artwork come out and thinking, oh, okay, cool. But when I heard about it more recently, I think I started to get nervous. I kept thinking, would the kid be annoying? Would the storyline be respectful to Mexican culture or just kind of pandering? But no, I was so happy to be proven wrong. Same here. Being that this was the first Disney movie centered on a Mexican character, 
I feel like a lot was riding on its success or possible failure, but minutes into the movie, all that tension immediately disappeared. I was completely wrapped up in Coco's creative storytelling, and more than anything, I felt all the love and warmth that went into creating the character of Miguel, who thankfully wasn't annoying. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) And not only Miguel, but his extended family as well. Yes. No, I really loved... I loved the fact that this was obviously a movie that takes place in within Mexican culture and we never meet any of Miguel's friends. It's basically all family and that felt so true to life. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we get more into the details and describe some of the aspects that we thought worked best in Coco? All right. Well, one thing that I think definitely worked in this movie was the fact that it had such a rich story. As we mentioned in our intro, Coco's plot is inspired by the Mexican holiday Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead, which essentially is a multi-day holiday with a focus on remembering friends and family members who have died and helping support their spiritual journey in the afterlife. Our family has never really celebrated the holiday, but I knew enough about it to appreciate how well-researched Coco's plot was. You can tell its creators really took the time to get all the details right, as well as find opportunities to weave in aspects of indigenous culture and even Mexican popular culture in their version of the afterlife. Yes, I loved that. I mean, you think of a movie like Hercules and that interpretation of the afterlife or the underworld is kind of, it's been done, but this felt so alive, as ironic as that seems for being uh, the afterlife. Yeah. Apart from all that, I would say that I was really impressed by the story itself. For being a kid's movie, sometimes you go in and expect that... Mind you, I saw this with actual children, so I kind of went into it thinking, all right, well, maybe it'll drag at parts, but no, the story itself was very fun and engaged me for the entire duration of the movie. It was very on-brand with classic Pixar twists and turns along the way, and Mm -hmm. I would say even more so, like many other Pixar films, it really explored human themes. Themes of identity and the everlasting bonds of family, but it adds something that family storylines, like what we get in Finding Nemo with Marlon and Nemo or Inside Out with Riley and her family, it got at what those movies didn't. And I would say that's the added theme of intergenerational legacy and tradition. Ooh, I like that. Yes, I I think those are very true to foreign cultures, not to say they don't exist here, but they do tend to be focused on in other cultures. And I appreciated that they were never, never gawked at as Mexican or foreign novelties, but they felt at once universal, but also very true and specific to the culture. Yes, that's definitely right. And in addition to its storyline, another huge part of Coco's success also has to do with its rich set of characters. 
Anyone in a large, especially Latino family, will immediately find Coco's characters very relatable. Yes. I mean, as I mentioned <laughs> earlier, we don't spend that much time with anyone that is unrelated to Miguel. But even so, the cast felt incredibly diverse. I mean, you had you have an aunt that's very type A, and then you have a very strong matriarch grandma. It just, it mm -hmm. felt like a testament to how all families have such different characters within them, but they're united by these bonds of just blood and love. Yes. Also, speaking of relatability as it, as it relates to Latino families, I have to give a particular shout out to that picnic pattern apron that the grandma <laughs> is wearing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Literally every Mexican grandchild will recognize that. So shouts to shouts to Coco for getting that right. Even the pink color of it. Yes, the so pink picnic pattern apron. <laughs> and then with the little lace on the sides and the way that the pockets are folded, like everything just felt so Real. excitingly right. Yeah. And yeah, all of what we've been saying so far points toward one of Coco's biggest strengths, its authenticity. Mm -hmm. The thing I loved the most about this movie was the fact that it never felt forced. You mentioned this earlier, Iman, but it deserves to be emphasized. There weren't any cringeworthy moments where it seemed like they were playing into Mexican stereotypes as part of its comedic beats. So true. I can think of several movies where there is a side character that be it Jewish or Asian or Latino naturally, where they make a comment and it feels like that character only exists to prove that, oh, well, we have a Mexican character. We have an Asian character. Yeah, kind of like Pedro in Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, like, look at this guy's funny mustache and his accent. <laughs> no, I. what I loved about this movie was that it, it, it sidestepped all that. And I think that the way that it did that was by having a solid writing, but also really solid, uh, a really solid casting. Yeah. The actors involved were super important. And I say this specifically because of um, the accents. This was a big criticism that we had of Breaking Bad uh, when that show was on the air in that a lot of the accents while speaking Spanish were terrible. Yeah. The actors oftentimes were Cuban or it was very obvious that they were from another Spanish-speaking country that or wasn't Or not a Spanish-speaking country at all. And it just sounded like... An American of of like that looked Hispanic, but didn't really speak Spanish, and it just it really took you out of it. But mm -hmm. with Coco, what I loved about it was that the slang and the chanclas were totally <laughs> on point. I mean, you have the character Hector, who's voiced by Gael Garcia Bernal. Using terms like, eh, chamaco, and Miguel scoffing, saying like, eh, no manches. Like, it was just so, yeah. it felt, I got the same joy out of listening to that as I did out of 
years ago watching a Mexican translated version of Flight of the Concords. Yes, <laughs> yes. I thought of that too. Yeah, I mean, it really just feels like it's the satisfaction of feeling like this is for me or like this yes. is for us. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a feeling of satisfaction that you don't really recognize as missing until you feel it. Oh, definitely. And then in terms of its story, I'd also say it works because it stayed away from sensationalizing Miguel's culture and instead just simply focused on creating a really strong central storyline. Mm -hmm. And Shea Serrano actually wrote about this in his review on The Ringer when he wrote, Coco, it certainly seems, was built by people who wanted to make a movie that relied 0% on going, hey, look at these wacky non-white people doing wacky non-white people things, isn't it strange? And 100% on going, hey, look at people doing things, isn't it great? Which is always the best way to handle things. It's good, and grand, and smart, and vibrant. And we get to say all of those things without a, quote, Latino qualifier in it. Like how nobody says anything like Inside Out really delivered for a white film. Uh, yes, Shea Serrano. But that's perfect. Yeah, that's the perfect summation. Mm -hmm. So, Iman, we've gone on a bit of the things that really worked in this movie. Did anything in this movie not work for you? Let me preface this by saying that on the whole, I, I really enjoyed this movie. And like you said earlier, I don't think there were any cringeworthy moments. Mm -hmm. But I have a few, a few questions. First, was it just me or did it feel a little weird watching this movie in English? Hmm. I mean, this is by no means unique to Coco, but when a movie uses thickly accented English to denote a foreign language, I just kind of feel icky. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't feel like it was wrong or offensive by any means, because mm -hmm. like we mentioned, a lot of the voice actors are Mexican. Yes. But I did find myself, when it came to the actual songs in the movie, uh -huh. I was craving watching a version of those songs in Spanish. And yeah. I feel like I left really curious to watch the whole thing again in Spanish. Same. I would love to see it again in Spanish. This is a kind of a second note that's... <laughs> Not really a criticism of the writing, but more me getting into this fantastical space and trying to poke holes in it. Okay. Did the rebellious little kid and the super patient parents storyline feel a little, you know, Disney? I wouldn't say we, we'd ever condone violence here on Screensaver, but I was definitely waiting for that kid to get a solid nalgada after yelling at his parents. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, that that wouldn't fly. Yeah, in would not families. him being a little brat to his parents would not fly, but I guess this is a movie after all. <laughs> yeah. I guess I have one question in terms of the movie's flaws and it actually doesn't have to do with the movie at all, but do we want to get into Olaf's Frozen Adventure, the short film that they aired before? The start of, of Coco? 
Oh gosh, I feel like there's been so much internet vitriol directed at this that I don't want to contribute any more to it. (laughs) Fair point. But I will say that, for the record, I didn't hate it. I feel like the character of Olaf, while I didn't really love Frozen and did not get into it the way that all of the world seems to have, I think that Olaf is... I don't know, he offers a dose of sugary sweet optimism that we can use, but in yeah. me- in measured doses, ideally. I think 20 minutes was a little long. Yeah, it was just a little, no, a lot, way too long. Yeah, <laughs> but back uh, to Coco. All right, well, here's one big question. How does this movie fit into the pantheon of Disney Pixar classics? Hmm, good question. I haven't seen all Disney Pixar films, which is probably criminal because I technically work for Disney. (laughs) But of the ones I've seen, my absolute favorite Pixar movie is Ratatouille, which is for anyone that hasn't seen it, because I don't think it's their... I don't know. I I never think it gets enough love. Yeah, people don't seem to immediately reach out to that movie like they do Up or Toy Story. Yeah, definitely. But it's definitely my favorite. Uh, It is a movie about Remy, who is a rat that is secretly pursuing his dreams to become a gourmet chef. So in other words, it's a movie about a character that loves something that goes against his family's nature. Sound familiar? (laughs) (laughs) Coco fits neatly within the pantheon of Pixar classics, in my opinion, by keeping with classic themes of family versus individualism, which I think Pixar does really well to explore in movies because that's something that kids grapple with. Yeah, it's amazing how they can take the same themes and make such different movies out of them. Yeah, such, I mean, the artwork is always stunning but unique and it... It, I loved that this one kind of took that same same theme and gave it a new setting without ever making it feel like it was exploiting the culture. Mm-hmm. So I think it, in my opinion at least, it fits very neatly within the Pixar classics, but offers probably a new uh, a new movie I'd add to my list of my top five, my top three. Do you think that you have a new favorite Pixar movie? Well, I I agree with you. Ratatouille is my favorite. Yes. And it's one that I love going back to time and time again. But I mm-hmm. think in terms of Coco, I really enjoyed the movie. And I can definitely imagine myself putting it up there in the list after subsequent viewings. It is a movie that I'm excited to go back to and rewatch several times. I feel like there's so much to explore in this world that we can enjoy it for years to come. Agreed. And I'm definitely, as we mentioned, looking forward to seeing it in Spanish. Oh, for sure. All right, Emmanuel, how about we transition into our shout outs for Coco? Sounds good. What's your first shout out? I have it queued up. My first shout-out goes to Chanclas. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Which good I one. Which I think is just a, 
a funny word. Um, but chanclas are sandals, which, uh, at least in this Mexican little village and a family of shoemakers, there are definitely going to be around. Yeah. But I do think it's, um, it's just a very, it feels, it felt very authentic to me. And the fact that they call them, I mean, the, I spoke with my grandma, our grandma, about this movie after watching it, and she just said, yep, you would definitely throw a chunk at a dog. Like, that felt so true. <laughs> yeah, they're weaponized in this movie in a way that's yes. so funny. She spins the the little chunk in her finger like you would spin a gun. And Yes, so cute. I really enjoyed it. What is your first shout-out? Mine's going to sound a little weird, but my shout out goes to the Mexican national team soccer jersey. Yes, I noticed Miguel, this too. <laughs> Miguel has a family member. I'm not sure if it's a cousin or an uncle who's wearing a Mexican national soccer team jersey throughout the entire movie. And I thought this was such a wonderful touch because... Everyone knows no big Mexican family is complete without someone who takes every opportunity he or she can to wear the Mexican jersey. Yeah, and if you're lucky, you get uh, family members that are so into it, they'll wear sombreros and blow bubuzelas. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, bubuzelas all the way and take them to your graduation too. Yes, <laughs> we have been blessed with personal experience with this and it's a lot of fun <laughs> what's your next shout out my next shout out is actually going to go to el santo who plays a very small role in this movie but i decided <laughs> to keep this as a shout out because of the overlap that it or at least the overlap that it created in my brain with the movie nacho libre yeah so El Santo in this movie is a wrestler who has, uh, as anyone familiar with Mexican wrestling knows, one of those shiny masks and is a super stoic mm -hmm. character. And he shows up in the movie going to the super swanky party and the the guard takes a selfie with him. It was just a lot of fun. But in seeing that, yeah. it reminded me a lot of the character of Ramses in the movie that <laughs> another movie that does not get a lot of attention, but Nacho Libre with Jack Black in it. And yeah. it just I don't know, it made me really excited to remember and realize that this is probably the first movie I've seen that me that celebrates Mexican culture in a fun, quotable way since that movie. So having a character like that show up and create that bridge in my mind was, was a lot of fun. Yeah, another cool thing about El Santo was, I mean, he's obviously a, a real figure in Mexican popular culture. And it was cool to see this movie bridge the divide between real life and this fictional made-up world so to see actual historical figures like actors and wrestlers and singers make cameos in this movie was a wonderful touch yeah agreed all right my last shout out is random also but it's gotta go to papayas i love the fact that frida kahlo speaking of significant historical figures 
also makes a significant cameo in this movie, and the fact that she is every bit as weird as you'd expect her to be was amazing. Yes, I loved her little monkey alebrije. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, like you were just saying, there it was really interesting to see them kind of collapse the story wall by bringing in real characters, but it also kind of felt like a trippy version of that if you could have dinner with anyone living or dead game. Or people that you would love to meet in the afterlife. Yeah, and it kind of played that out, and like you said, she was very out there. <laughs> But it, in a fun way, and I love that even her even her skeleton still had the unibrow. Yeah, and even her her fans in the afterlife don't quite understand what her her paintings symbolize. Yeah, why she wants to set things on fire, put her face on a cactus. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, as we said, we wanted to make this a quick one, but we had a lot of love to give this movie. Do you want to get into our final thoughts or ranking for Coco? Sure. I mean, to underscore everything we've already said, Coco is a beautiful movie, both in its vibrant visuals and in its sentimental storyline. I found myself tearing up through the entire movie because so much of it felt so personal and so familiar, and ultimately... I'm just really glad it exists, because it feels like a movie like this was long overdue. So for that, I'm gonna give Coco 8.5 out of 10 elotes. <laughs> I love it. Honestly, I I couldn't agree more with everything you've, you've just said. It was a beautiful movie, and I'm glad it exists, and I hope that more like it continue to be made. Something yeah. that I said immediately when I, I got out of seeing the movie was that the subtitle for it should have been Coco, a.k.a. Call Your Abuelita. And I think the, the nostalgia that it stirred within me, also seeing the relationship that he has with his own uh, great-grandmother and seeing the, the way that... Um, the way that stories and also just passions and hobbies and a love for music were passed down. It, it, it just, it was really heartwarming. Um, and it, it, I mean, it made for a really fun call with my abuelita talking about how she used to visit similar pueblitos when she was about my age, probably. So that's so cool. Yeah. And I, I love, I love that this movie enabled that conversation and from what I've read online it sounds like it's enabled a lot of similar conversations so a huge shout out to the creators of this movie for for doing it and not seeing it as a gamble which I think it has been seen as for far too long so mm -hmm. for that I give it 8.5 out of 10 gold teeth <laughs> <laughs> nice all right, Iman. Well, I think that does it for this episode of Screensaver. For those of you listening out there, if you have any thoughts you want to share with us on Coco or any other Pixar classics, get in touch. You can follow us on Twitter at ScreensaverPod and like our Facebook page, Screensaver Podcast. As always, you can find other episodes of Screensaver on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening. Bye! 
How's that? Good.